This is Law for Community Workers On The Go, a podcast for community and health workers. We've structured this program to be able to deliver on two fronts, those being services for the community, which will involve building stronger referral pathways with community organisations and social support services working directly with called men, providing training opportunities and the joint development of community legal education materials. And then on the other side, services for the individual, which is where uh, we would, in our legal capacity, provide legal support to these men uh, from a culturally and trauma-informed perspective. My name is Josh and I'm a solicitor in the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales. I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land where I'm recording this podcast from. I would also like to pay respect to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. With me today, we have Tu Lee and Bianca Newton, solicitors from the Western Sydney Community Legal Centre, who have recently received funding to work with mainly culturally and linguistically diverse or called men who are perpetrators or victims of domestic violence. As you've just heard, there are two prongs to what they're working on. The first prong is to develop and deliver community legal education to communities and community workers so that called men know how and where to get legal assistance. Uh, They've got a monthly legal problem spotting training, the details of which are in the episode notes. And secondly, they will provide individual legal advice and assistance to called men who are perpetrators or victims of domestic violence. In this episode, you'll hear more about that and about their approach. Uh, They make clear that it's community workers and community leaders who often know the solutions for their community and that Western Community Legal Centre is there to lend legal support. So please reach out to them. I'll now start by asking our guests to introduce themselves. Well, first of all, thank you for having us. My name is Bianca Newton. I am a solicitor with Western Sydney Community Legal Centre. Hi, Josh. My name is Tu and I'm also a solicitor with Western Sydney Community Legal Centre. Wonderful. And would you be able to tell me a little bit about Western Sydney Community Legal Centre? Western Sydney Community Legal Centre is um, all about providing legal services uh, and legal adjacent social services uh, to the people of Western Sydney with the aim of making navigation of and access to the legal system easier for people in need. So currently we have two office locations, one in Parramatta and one in Rudy Hill. What does a typical day look like for you at the moment? I suppose a typical day for us at the moment uh, is interesting considering lockdown. I work mostly with clients from multicultural and diverse backgrounds, um, which means that most of these calls require the use of an interpreter. Sometimes those calls can range from 20 minutes to uh, sometimes close to an hour and a half. Uh, and then I complete that necessary prep work or follow-up work. And then other days will be quite project-heavy, uh, which means that we could be attending a couple of stakeholder engagements or uh, compiling materials which would then be utilised within the project. And on the topic of project-heavy days, we're here today to talk about a new service that you've received funding to deliver across New South Wales. Can you tell us a bit about it? So very exciting. Western Sydney uh, CLC received some funding from Women's New South Wales earlier this year to develop a health justice partnership with a focus on uh, community legal education and training in the domestic and family violence space targeted at culturally and linguistically diverse communities. So uh, called for uh, abbreviation. 
And how, how long does this uh, pilot go for? The funding that we receive from Women's New South Wales is for 12 months. Um, so the pilot itself is um, looking to end in June of next year. And are you able to talk a bit about what your plans are to make the most of this time? We already do have an existing uh, DV service. We also have a, a family law uh, service. And so with the pilot, it's really about um, creating a pathway, uh, particularly for um, you know a client group that doesn't necessarily access mainstream services or community legal centres. Um, so by targeting our pilot program towards called men and to organisations that currently engage and work with men from cult communities, uh, we're hoping that this creates a really uh, strong referral pathway for organisations and service providers to be able to uh, link in with a community legal service if there is a need for their client. You're focused on culturally and linguistically diverse men. I guess I'm curious what you've talked about providing community legal education are you able to talk a little bit more specifically around what you're intending to do with this project? So when we started in this space, looking at what kind of gaps there were in the services that look to be uh, men coming from these different multicultural and diverse backgrounds. And so we thought, how can we create the most effective program for this particular group that seems to be missing out on support services? And it became quite clear through our practical work and through, you know, the theoretical research that's available that it's really important to engage with uh, community groups and community leaders. And so by talking to them, it became clear that there were lots of people looking for that kind of information, particularly the information around how the law intersects with domestic violence. And so the community legal education materials that we're thinking about would be things like um, workshops potentially around court advocacy, how these people can speak to lawyers, how they can engage with interpreters, what kind of restrictions uh, are critical when it comes to uh, AVOs or family law matters. And it really came about because you'd identified this, that there was a bit of a gap for to support culturally and linguistically diverse men. Was it hard to find data that kind of showed, um, yeah, to demonstrate that, that there was this gap? Yeah, it was difficult. Uh, the research that we'd done quite early on and we continue to do uh, doesn't often account for the perspectives of uh, people from these culturally and linguistically diverse communities. For example, the data on men's behavioural change programs, which are still largely in their infancy, is catered towards people from Anglo-Saxon uh, backgrounds. And so a lot about the services that are available now, which do terrific work. I know you had Note of Violence on one of your podcast episodes. There are only, I think there's only one in New South Wales run by Relationships Australia New South Wales in partnership with Settlement Services International, which runs two groups in language. And that at the moment is Tamil and Arabic. What barriers have you identified that these men face in accessing uh, legal and non-legal support and help? Well, we 
I guess through the, the research and, and through the consultation with community, we found that the majority of the information um, concerning domestic and family violence, particularly uh, in culturally and linguistically diverse communities in Australia, is mostly centred around uh, supporting women. So this program, uh, we wanted to be able to fill a gap in the services that are already being provided in this space. And by identifying uh, called men and also to the, the barriers. And often for called communities, there are the more obvious barriers such as um, limited um, language skills. Um, as I mentioned earlier, not often accessing um, mainstream services and often also looking towards their communities. Um, some often subscribe, particularly for newly arrived communities, subscribe to a community leader. Um, and so all their information that they get about services and service providers is from within the community. Um, so I think those are more obvious barriers, um, but also to in the area of domestic and family violence, the very diverse and complex needs of men um, aren't always uh, easily addressed and oftentimes it, it does, like we know that these issues don't necessarily, um, you know, exist in a, a vacuum. And unfortunately, as Bianca mentioned, there, there is a, a clear shortage of programs that are designed um, for culturally and linguistically um, diverse communities. And as she mentioned, you know, with men's behavioural change programs, as an example, um, we've only come across very few that actually run in language. I think to add there to what Tu has said, uh, if I can provide an example, something that we see in practice is that um, I suppose this particular group of people are currently left with few support services. So um, when an incident of domestic violence occurs uh, for a man from Anglo-Saxon uh, backgrounds who is potentially perpetrating the violence in that situation, um, generally speaking, he might be issued with an ADVO and he has a couple of things on his side. That Those include his ability to speak fluent English and to tell his side of the story to police and the court in his own voice, uh, a reasonable knowledge of the Australian legal system, and then a plethora of support services ranging from his GP to men's behavioural change programs. Um, and you've got a couple that are run by different organisations like Anglicare or Baptist Care, Catholic Care, and again with Relationships Australia. But for a man coming from a culturally and linguistically diverse background with limited English, once the domestic violence incident has occurred and the police become involved, things can become a little bit tricky. For example, um, when we first started venturing into this space, we found that only one established program was existing and it got us to thinking not just about language barriers and cultural barriers, but also the social uh, barriers. And what I mean by that is there is a lot of stigma attached to working with men. And so uh, we wanted to create a program and deliver a practice that was going to take that stigma into account and how we might be able to come at this problem from a different perspective for uh, that particular group of people. I guess what I'm getting from you is that there, there, are this, there is this multitude of barriers that culturally and linguistically diverse men would face. Um, and I'm curious what some of the ways that your service 
um, addresses those barriers. So, for example, the stigma or the language barriers or the kind of the knowledge of how the legal system works. Are there certain steps that you're able to take to help mitigate or, or reduce those barriers that culturally and linguistically diverse men face? It's a tricky one, but I think um, as we've kind of already prefaced, one of the really important things about this program is that we are working hand in hand with community groups um, and community leaders. So we'd be hoping to involve them in the process to try and smooth and the conversations that I had between uh, us in our legal capacity and with prospective clients or with community members especially uh, in delivering that kind of community legal education. But in terms of being able to deliver um, our legal deliverables, we do use in, an interpreting service, uh, which we find is quite effective. Uh, but it really will uh, come down to having really good relationships with uh, these community groups who can deliver not only in language but um, translate uh, the messages and the information that we want to get across in a really culturally appropriate way. Just to make sure I've understood, is the community legal education going to be targeted at more at community organisations or community leaders or community members themselves? Yeah, are you able to clarify exactly who, who it's targeted at? So we have material that we, considering that we would be building with community leaders and organisations for their community members, uh, and that will be around some of those main areas that um, of information that are being sought. So that would include things like um, learning about your AVOs, uh, understanding how an AVO, which is typically a civil uh, area can become a criminal area if breached, um, things like family law. But I think when it comes to community leaders and community organisations, we're also running a legal problem spotting training so that they're able to detect the legal issues that are being brought up by their community members in a more overarching sense um, since it's not necessarily um their job or obligation to understand the law and be able to advise, but just to identify it and understand how um, they can reach out to their legal services and potentially link up their community members or their clients uh, with um, a service that is dedicated to that kind of work and how we can potentially help each other to bring that client or community member um, a holistic wraparound service. Yeah, great. And who are you looking to partner with to help you deliver these uh, this service? Yeah, so we, if it's if we haven't made it um, clear enough, obviously <laughs> we know that we're not going to be able to deliver this type of uh, wraparound service in isolation. So um, I think it's you know very widely recognised that, that as stakeholders we need to be able to to work together in. Um, integrated ways to be able to increase the effectiveness of support, um, particularly for our, our target group. So in terms of partners, the service itself, the program that we're delivering is a statewide program. So we are looking to roll it out statewide. Um, at this stage in the pilot program, uh, we're looking at working with uh, communities. So we've 
identified um, several community groups and through the networks that we have as a community legal centre um, with uh, community leaders, with, um, you know, health uh, and social service providers, uh, such as drug and alcohol counselling, um, with uh, other men's health services. We're, we're looking at this stage to consult widely um, with a lot of diverse stakeholders who currently work with and engage with cold men to be able to, to collaborate and, and work with them um, to, to build the service. So at this stage, we're, we're working with a few community groups such as the African leaders, uh, Vietnamese community leaders and service providers, as well as um, leaders within the Muslim community. Um, but we are looking at um, different community groups. So um, it, it's not that these our partners are set in stone. Uh, we're still in the, um, I guess, as a pilot in the phase where we are looking to to work broadly across multiple stakeholders and service providers to be able to um, assist. So some community groups we find uh, we found so far through our consultation may have already uh, developed their own uh, in language programs for men within their community. So it's about how we could support um, what they're currently doing, um, you know, with our legal expertise and and bring in that knowledge um, whilst they have that very strong understanding of, of culture um, and obviously of language as well. So it's about marrying those two things or the different um, expertise up so that the service is um, holistic and it is uh, effective in supporting the the target group. Yeah, and it sounds like that's just going to benefit everyone involved <laughs> when you're all working together as, as you've outlined. Is there any particular benefits that you would identify for any of these organisations who do decide to work with you? Yes, well, um, I guess as we discussed, what are the greatest benefits uh, to working with a community legal centre um, and with lawyers is, uh, I guess, the first thing. And in terms of our approach around training, um, it's really two prongs. So working with community workers, the service providers who engage with this client group is to be able to provide them um, with training around, um, you know, detecting legal problems. And oftentimes, um, you know, the the group or the, the client that we're trying to target through our service may not necessarily um, seek out, you know, legal support or legal advice right away. And oftentimes these uh, issues that they may be facing that require, uh, you know, uh, legal um, advice or legal support are often um, brought up in um, other services. So, for example, if they're, uh, you know, to their medical practitioner or to another uh, service provider. And so it's really important that when these community workers identify that there could be a legal issue here, that they do, you know, make um, timely and appropriate referrals to the right services to be able to assist. Uh, Because we see something time and time again um, where, um, you know, one small legal problem can really snowball and before you know it, it might become, you know, five separate legal problems um, which would result in quite significant social or even health concerns for a client. Um, so I, I think that's the, the immediate benefit in that we've got the, the legal expertise to be able to work together um, in a, a health justice partnership with other service providers and with our partners. To, before you mentioned that sometimes there could be a particular community that has already created some resources in language, is it possible that it, 
some of the work that you end up doing could be identifying that kind of thing that may already be working quite well and just kind of scaling it across the state? Is that something that could happen? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with limited resources and also time, um, the last thing we want to be doing is reinventing the wheel. And that's that's often, you know, the catchphrase in the sector. Uh, But if things are already being done, uh, we really want to be able to support that um, and to add value to it um, so that it is ultimately, you know, effective in reaching the the objectives um, of either service and ultimately that's about how we can best support uh, the client um, effectively. And so I think I mentioned with the different communities and the different service providers that we've um, started to work with, they're sort of at different stages. Some of them, you know, know that domestic violence is an issue within their community um, and don't know where to start. Um, Some of them, as we mentioned, uh, are maybe a little bit more developed where they have their own um, counsellors and clinicians who are assisting um, men who uh, are facing or affected by or affecting domestic violence. And so they've already established certain programs to support them. So um, you're absolutely right. And we would highly encourage, you know, any community worker out there who's listening um, that no matter, you know, what stage you are within your own programs, if there is, you know, a, a gap or a need uh, for legal expertise, um, you know, whether that's as a, a referral to, to legal support or even to working with us to um develop these programs for your community in a targeted and culturally appropriate way, please do reach out to us. Mm, Thanks, Chick. And we've been talking kind of, I guess, at kind of a macro level, um, hoping to bring it down to a a client-specific level now. Would would one of you be able to talk to about a client that you've helped? Yeah. Uh, So I've been working closely with an alleged male perpetrator from a cold community over the last two months. He was uh, involved in a domestic violence incident in which police were called. Um, He was issued with a provisional ADVO uh, and in the days that followed, um, sorry, in the days that had followed for intimidating conduct. The orders uh, on that AVO went beyond the mandatory threaten, stalk or intimidate. Um, He was not allowed to go within 200 metres of the person in need of protection nor was he allowed to contact her at all unless it went through a lawyer. Um, because his English uh, is quite limited, he was unable to tell the police his side of the story at the scene uh, and he didn't understand his avio conditions but was told he should just get a lawyer. So uh, unsure of what to do, he'd contacted a private lawyer who spoke his language and who had previously assisted him with property settlement. By the time his client, uh, this client um Across my path, he'd been to court twice where he had contested the AVO without properly understanding the consequences of that decision. He hadn't been afforded a, a property recovery order to obtain any of his belongings. So it had been a couple of months since he'd had uh, winter clothes, um, implements to cook with or anything. Uh, and he, no one had considered the fact that he shared two children with the partner. So with the assistance of the police, uh, the domestic violence liaison officer on the case and using quite a few interpreters, um, we were able to have that AVO varied so that we could enable a third-party mediator to facilitate conversations around the children and have him go back to the property briefly to obtain um, critical medical documents that he needed in order to be able to find work uh, and some winter clothes. 
Mm. It doesn't sound like much, but um, for this one individual, for me, it felt like the difference between someone losing their mind because they had no idea what was happening, feeling like the world was against him and then acting on those feelings to someone being given the relevant information and support at quite a critical time to think clearly and then be empowered to potentially change their behaviour going forward. That's so good that you can provide that assistance. Another question that I had was if you're assisting a client and, and maybe it could be a situation similar to the one that you just described, um, if that person is on a visa, um, what, what do you do in that situation? So, well, I'd like to make it very clear that um, if someone is on a temporary visa, they may be a refugee or an asylum seeker, even if they're unlawful, um, they can access our service. So we, we aren't limited to just Australian citizens or permanent residents. And I think I'd like to acknowledge actually that we understand that a big concern for clients who do have, um, you know, visa issues or are concerned about their um, immigration status in Australia, um, that often trumps any other concern that they may have um, because, you know, their immediate desire is to be able to stay in Australia. Um, and so, yeah, just wanted to make it really clear that it doesn't matter what a client's visa status is, if they're eligible for our service, then we can assist. Great. Thank you. What steps do you take to deliver services in a culturally appropriate and trauma-informed way? I think that's an, it's an interesting question. Uh, and I suppose Tu and I approach that from, I suppose, two minds in the sense that uh, we do what we can with the training we have available in terms of uh, coming at our legal practice from a culturally and trauma-informed, I suppose, perspective. Uh, but I suppose the reality of working in a community legal centre is that we do have finite resources and especially during lockdown, um, there's only so much that we can do. So, uh, we would love to be able to say that we have uh, a range of people working um, in this space uh, so that we can afford uh, any prospective clients the ability to speak to a lawyer of, you know, a chosen gender, for example. Uh, but I think since we've started working in this space we don't want to undervalue what it is that women can also bring to working in this space. For example, we know that in a lot of the men's behavioural change, it's really important that they've got uh, women working in that space to reinforce this idea that men who are potentially users of violence or potentially victims of violence do need to be able to engage with women uh, in this space. But you know, hopefully as um, this program gains some recognition and we're able to work more closely with community groups and uh, people that are trusted within those community groups, we can provide um, the opportunity to connect the prospective client or community member with those individuals in addition to us. And I found in practice that by, you know, linking those clients up with their social workers or support people that they elect to bring with them and we're able to get that consent to involve that person in our client's legal journey. 
that it works quite well. Are there particular steps that you can take to try and address the issue of somebody not wanting to talk about an issue where there is stigma with an interpreter, where there's a small amount of people that speak that language and it's quite a a tightly knit community? We certainly have heard of uh, incidents where that has happened, where we've had a client uh, call in and express to us that they don't want an interpreter that speaks their, you know, their birth language, but instead they're able to uh, cobble enough words together to speak another language that they know that they don't know many people from that community. And while I recognise that that doesn't happen in all circumstances, it is difficult because the practical reality so that we don't have lawyers that can speak every language or even those languages that aren't as common. Sometimes the solution may be that we rely on those community networks in order to find a solution. But I don't know too. What do you think? I know we've kind of touched on this before that it's really important that we use properly accredited interpreters for our work for, you know, legal purposes. I've um, had instances in in the past where uh, clients, um, you know, who speak a certain language and there's only one Nazi-approved interpreter that speaks that language across all of Australia. Um, And so we've, in those circumstances, had to tap into our our networks um, and that's where, you know, the, the... partnerships and the relationships that we develop with community is so important and vital to the work that we're doing Um, and we were able whilst they're not not to approve and actually there were a few people working to become um, qualified as uh, Nazi approved interpreters um, where appropriate we would use um, the community support to be able to at least enable the the client to to understand um, what it is that we're, we're trying to advise them. Thanks so much for that. And just to finish off, what what would be one or two key messages for community workers who have called men who are perpetrators of domestic or family violence as clients? Well, I think as we've kind of peppered throughout this interview with you, the approach that we really wanted to come at this program with was uh, we are lawyers by trade And we couldn't hope to pull off um, a holistic wraparound service like this without community workers. It's those community workers and community leaders that know that community. They know the problems that uh, their communities are experiencing. And most of the time, they know what kind of solutions will work. And so when we were thinking about this program, one of the biggest objectives was that we wanted to empower community leaders and community organisations predominantly uh, to be more confident when those community members come to them with issues that may involve a legal issue and how they might be able to reach out to a legal service that are going to work hard to better understand the needs, the unique needs of those community members. We are here to lend uh, that support in any way that we can. So as two, I think, mentioned If you're a community worker out there who is already pulling together the resources that you have uh, in order to service the needs of your community when it comes to domestic violence, please reach out and we're happy to lend whatever assistance we can so that the 
people, uh, as I said, the programs for men, but um, so that those men can get the best support that they can. I might just um, add a, a shameless plug about our upcoming trainings, um, but we do have a monthly uh, legal spotting training for community workers. So if that's something you're interested um, in attending and you don't have to necessarily work with cold men, um, you might just be working with um, you know, diverse communities, then please do reach out to us and we can send you more information about our upcoming training. Mm, and how do people get in touch with you? We're trying to be as visible as possible at the moment without actually being <laughs> physically present. Uh, and the details for how you can reach us will be in the flyer that um, we can pop in the show notes for this episode. To Bianca, thank you both so, so much for, for your time and for your insights. And thank you to everyone for listening. Please check the show notes for more information about what Western Sydney Community Legal Centre are doing and how you can get involved. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode and found it useful, please share it with your organisation, your colleagues and communities. If you would like to access any of the information spoken about in the episode, please see the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thanks from all of us here at the CLE branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.